the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you to everyone uh, as way of prelude who reached out to me this week. Um, I was sidelined with COVID, and today's my first day um, out of isolation, so it's good to be back um, out of COVID jail and with you all this morning. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the ways you continue to show up in our lives. We give you thanks for your word and its rich mystery. Be with us this morning as we dive into what you have to say to us. Oh God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'd like to bring it way back to one of the most formative weeks in my life, the first week of my college experience. When I was 17 and a senior in high school, in all my great 17-year-old wisdom, I decided that I wanted to go somewhere very different from where I grew up and have a different experience. And so in the fall of 2010, hard to believe, it's been 12 years, I ended up at Coastal Carolina University just outside of Myrtle Beach, which I quickly realized was a big mistake. And so by January of that year, I found myself more comfortably nestled into Campbell University, just a mere 45 minutes away from where I grew up, surrounded by people who thought and lived and had fun in a way that was, well, much more palatable for me at the time. Anyways, in that first week, I walked around campus both totally excited and completely overwhelmed. You might remember that, that first week of college feeling or really that first week of anything feeling. And one of the things I was most excited about was that I had gotten into a coveted religion elective. It was on world religion. I had got a class I actually wanted to take. And I posted on it about it on Facebook back when I used to use Facebook unironically. And someone quickly from my deeply traditional home church, the place where I grew up and learned to love the Lord, quickly commented. Here's what they said. Be careful what they teach you in that class. They'll try and ruin your faith. I'm sure no one has ever heard any advice like that when going into a college religion class before. No way, I commented back, completely sure of the steadfastness of my belief and full of 18-year-old conviction. So fast forward two years later, and you might be surprised to find that while my faith wasn't ruined, nearly everything about it had changed. 
thanks be to God. I was now majoring in religion. I was beginning to creep slowly towards acceptance of my call to pastoral ministry. That's a long story for another time. Most importantly, I had grown, both in my love for God and in my love for other people. But along the way, I had come to embrace a particularly troubling truth. Truth, at least for me, and it's this. That the life of faith is more often than not one of struggle. That in my walk with God, I nearly always end up with more questions than answers. And there was also this accompanying corollary truth, and it's this, that the people who I knew who did have the quick, easy answers were usually the most unkind, unempathetic people in the room. Maybe you've met an overly zealous religious person like that. I often think that this is why Jesus' primary teaching tool was the parable, a, a form of teaching specifically designed to confuse you, to make you think, to not give you an easy answer, to force you to wrestle with it, turn it over and over again in your mind. It's no wonder Jesus' disciples had so much trouble trying to figure out what was going on. Now you see the young adult years, and this doesn't necessarily need to uh, apply if you just went to college, but the young adult years in general are often what is described as a liminal space. Liminal space. The word liminal comes from the Latin and it means boundary or limit. Liminal spaces are those inevitable boundary moments in our lives that we all face. These are experiences, moments of transition that challenge and change us, that cause us to wrestle and grow into a new identity. They aren't necessarily limited to our young adulthood. They happen all across our lives. Think about it. The first time you took a step, the first time you drove a car on your own, when you had your first kiss or got married or became a grandparent or a parent for the first time, losing a loved one, facing a grave diagnosis, disillusionment with a close friend or family member, someone you thought you could trust. Liminal spaces are happy and sad and in between, and I could go on here, but what's important is that in these moments, we brush up against the limits of who we are, our former experiences, our identities, who we used to be. Now, if we're lucky and if we're healthy, we can integrate these times of transition into who we are and move forward, energized, into a new reality. I'm introducing this concept of liminal space this morning because our scripture reading from Genesis throws us into perhaps one of the single most liminal spaces in all of scripture, Jacob's night-long wrestling match with, as the passage leads us to believe, God. As he limps away after the match, Jacob leaves with a blessing in the form of a new identity. God renames him Israel an identity that would shape the entire history of God's people. And so this is important for us still today, but before we get there, let's take a step back and put this story into context. Jacob, in Genesis chapter 25, was born, and he was born a twin. And he came out of the womb literally grasping the heel of his slightly older brother Esau. Jacob is a name that means the supplanter, the overcomer overthrower. Jacob went on to defy good biblical gender norms. He 
enjoyed hanging out with the women in the tents and cooking rather than being out with the men hunting. He was a man who relied on his wits more than his brawn. He eventually used those wits to trick his brother out of birthright and blessings. It was a big deal in the biblical world. Quite naturally, he then flees in fear of his brother to extended family in a foreign land. And when he arrives, we love the nuance of biblical relationship, he marries two of his cousins. First Leah and then Rachel, mostly because his uncle sort of tricks him out of his first choice. During this time, he grows prosperous and eventually the Lord commands him to return home and promises him safety in the face of this oncoming confrontation with his brother whom he's cheated. From Genesis 25 and to our passage today in Genesis 32, we get this portrait of a life marked by these big, boundary-breaking, identity-shifting, liminal moments. Here in our passage this morning, we find Jacob at what is the climax of his life literally at the border of his homeland, on the cusp of confrontation with his brother. And Jacob tries to use his wits one last time. He sends family and flocks and possessions ahead of him across the river in an attempt to placate his brother in the face of this confrontation. He's left utterly alone. In a life full of these big transition moments, he enters into the most, what I'm sure, anxiety-inducing, nerve-wracking, crucial night of his life. It's in this utter loneliness that suddenly and seemingly out of nowhere, God appears in human form and begins, of all things, a wrestling match with him. As I read and thought about this this week, perhaps... The single most striking thing about this passage is that God doesn't just instantly wipe the floor with Jacob. I mean, you would think the omnipotent, all-powerful thing might come into play here, especially because Jacob wasn't known for uh, his uh, martial brawn prowess. Instead, the match lasts the entire night. And scripture says that God could not prevail against Jacob. Wrap your head around that one. God could not prevail against Jacob. Finally, God exerts some sort of divine supernatural power and puts Jacob's hip out of joint. And still, surprisingly, this doesn't end the match, right? Jacob hangs on, holding out for a blessing. And God eventually relents. Scripture reads it like this. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with humans, and you have prevailed. One commentator that I read this week as I was studying this passage stated pretty boldly that this episode might be the best description of the life of faith in the entire Bible. Best description of the life of faith throughout the scriptures. You see, the hidden truth lying underneath this story is about the nature of our relationship with God. God could dominate us, God doesn't. God could trick or manipulate or coerce us. God doesn't. God could reject us as failures. Lord knows none of us, as we know all too well, are perfect. We all sin. Jacob led a life full of sin. But God didn't reject him. Despite our continual brokenness, God doesn't reject us. 
Instead, we find that in this deep moment of pain and loneliness for Jacob, and in our moments of transition and anxiety, even and especially in the midst of those times where we feel the fallout of sin most acutely, we see that God draws close to us. God walks alongside us. God strives with us. Jacob's blessing, the one that he held out for, is found in his name change. He goes from being called Jacob, the one who supplants, to Israel, the one who strives, who wrestles with God. It's not that Jacob defeated or claimed victory over God. It's instead that in that stubborn refusal to let go of God that Jacob prevails and finds his blessing. It's that refusal to let go, you see, that continual wrestling and striving despite our failures, despite the pain and brokenness and anxiety that we face, that really constitutes the life of faith. All God really wants from us, it turns out, is to continue to trust, to continue to engage, even and especially when things don't make sense or things don't work out the way you thought that they would. God desires real relationship. God doesn't give us often an easy answer. Instead, God waits for us in the struggle. We all face moments of transition, liminal spaces, both we as individuals throughout our lives and we also as a community. We face these times, these moments of transition. Oftentimes, it's in times like these that we discover who we really and truly are. And we're presented with a pretty unique opportunity to integrate these moments, to leave them changed and transformed and renewed. Jacob left, not only with a new name and a new blessing, but also with a limp, a constant nagging reminder that in every single step, he was dependent on God for the blessing. Every step he took forward would be its own new little struggle, its own reminder of relationship and dependency on God. Many of us gathered this morning come with our own limps, whether that's from wrestling with God or wrestling with people in your past. Some of us might come this morning in desperate need of a blessing. All of us together come called to be in deep, real relationship with God, especially in those transition times, those liminal spaces that we face, especially in those times where things are confusing and they don't make sense and it's painful and anxious. I want to encourage you this morning, when you face moments like those, Strive on. Strive on. Don't give up or burn out or become apathetic in your walk with Christ. Don't turn away from Christian community. Instead, lean into it. Lean in. Bring that struggle here. Struggle together with us. And on the road forward, we'll find God's blessing together. One final thought this morning. 
our scripture passage this morning ends like this. The sun rose upon Jacob as he passed Penwell, limping because of his hip. Siblings in Christ, the, the life of faith is not always going to be easy. It's not always going to make sense. Sometimes we're going to walk away from moments with a limp. But the hope that we share in Christ, the hope that we share in relationship with God is this. It's that as we continue to be faithful to the walk, as we continue to strive together with God, we will continually find the sun rising on us. We'll find God showing up alongside us, even and especially in those moments of transition. We'll find God challenging us to grow in the midst of the struggle. It's really what the life of faith is all about. Amen.